This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the program. Today I'm playing an excerpt from the first press conference from the Veterans Affairs Department's new Chief Information Officer. The Senate confirmed Kurt Delbeni to be the VA CIO and Assistant Secretary for Information and Technology in December. I'd like to start by saying how honored I am to have been confirmed to this role. There's no more important mission for our government and for me personally than to keep uh, our promise to our veterans, to their families and their caregivers. I also want to say I'm joining an organization that's done some remarkable work. And above all, I want to stress how proud I am of the work that's been done uh, in the past by some amazing people. As an example, they've expanded telehealth to bring healthcare to all veterans. We've conducted, I'm not sure how many know the statistic, but 16.2 million telehealth visits since the pandemic began. And that's just a remarkable statistic. We've also expanded other online activities like telehearings to keep benefits processes moving. So this transition is in using technology to better serve veterans and it will remain a priority for us. We also need to keep uh, make sure that we keep our promise to the nearly 400,000 employees of the VA. They're our most important asset and they're critical in everything we do. We need to be certain that we have a workplace that's safe and that's adaptable to this dynamic environment that we see ourselves in today. And we need to continue to build an innovative, diverse, and inclusive workforce. This has always been a priority for me in my, my life in the commercial space. And I know I join a deep belief in other leaders in the VA that this is central to our mission in the VA. So a super high priority for me personally. In my role, I'm inspired to establish the VA as a leader in digital transformation in the federal government. You know, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that the VA is, the magnitude is tremendous. For instance, the VA runs the largest integrated healthcare system in the United States. As such, I think we're in a unique position to demonstrate the role technology can play in the lives of veterans and to lead in showing the role that technology can play in serving our customers. Those are our veterans, our families, and their caregivers. As we begin to do some modernization of a core stack, we're engaged in a huge number of system transformations, a colossal number from commercial standards alone. Currently, we're updating our financial management and logistics systems. We're enabling support uh, for caregivers through enhancements to our benefit systems, and we're undergoing a transformation of our electronic health record system as well. Our focus is on innovation and bringing industry best practices and cutting edge technology to the VA. We're also driving really hard on the uh, having a world-class veterans digital experience. We have significantly improved both our veterans online customer satisfaction as well as usage, allowing veterans to streamline their healthcare, disabilities and education benefits, payments and other information that impacts their daily lives. GSA and OMB conduct annual customer uh, satisfaction surveys of every agency in the federal government and they rate OIT above average on all counts, but we can do better still. We can be a leader in this space. Turning to goals, as I've said, I aspire to bring what I've learned in the commercial sector and work with what the OIT has already done to continue our digital transformation. OIT has become a leader, not only in the VA, but throughout the federal space, and I wanna keep us at the forefront. At the foundation, that means working with stakeholders on a clearly articulated vision of what they do to deliver for veterans, caregivers, and their families, and then bring that and interpret that into a, an agenda for our technology innovation. We then need to develop clear plans of action that are agile and adapt as cha needs change. We need to have measures of success or metrics that measure end user outcomes. 
And then our resources need to be clearly allocated based on these priorities in a way that it's clear how they tick and tie together. I wanna to become even more agile in our development practices as well. In the pandemic era alone, we created apps in a matter of hours and put them in practice to serve immediate needs. We need to do more of that. We can also build more transparency in our resource allocation and our agility moving forward. And we can move those resources around more quickly as a result. This will enable us to be more transparent externally in the work that we're doing, and will also provide critical information to other parts of the government so that they can help us to succeed. We'll continue to our focus on users of VA technology, whether they are veterans, their caregivers, or VA staff members. This is another place where having clear measures of success are critical, as well as using technology to improve the user experience. We'll continue modernizing our infrastructure to reduce our technical debt and increase our security and effectiveness. VA's Infrastructure Readiness Program was established in fiscal year 2019, and it guides our ongoing refresh and replacement of IT infrastructure that sustains all of VA IT's operations. By managing technical debt and providing common core technology elements that remain within our useful life cycle of those devices, we can better support our users and offer continued readiness and improve our security posture. Speaking of security, cybersecurity is always at the forefront. Protecting the department's information resources is a critical priority, which includes safeguarding veterans' information in systems that store, process, and transmit information. We're leveraging a balanced risk management approach to do so, just as is done in the industry as well. Here we need to establish clear, a clear internal vision for securing the organization, leveraging frameworks like Zero Trust and the NIST framework, while enhancing our compliance with mandates such as FISMA and OMB's recent Regulation 14028. Data management and analytics is another key. Getting to a modern data infrastructure with great data management will help us better serve vets and leverage emerging technologies like AI algorithms that can create new insights to, again, help us better serve our customer. Process automation is also key, just as it is in the commercial sector. This includes getting great at process analysis, identifying the key leverage points, and then using great tools such as low-code, no-code platforms to automate these key processes. Turning briefly to electronic uh, health records, we have an opportunity to take the lessons learned from the early electronic health records management implementations to assure white glove hands-on help to frontline clinicians, medical center administration staff, and others that need to succeed and to deliver with increased velocity moving forward. There's a new management structure for electronic health records in place headed by a program executive director supervising three officials. Dr. Terry Adiram, Laura Pratua, who's with us today, Dr. Don Paraglia, and Eddie C. Riley are committed to driving successful coordination plans moving forward. We especially appreciate the leadership of Deputy Secretary Donald Rainey, who is actively involved in the revised EHR process as well. I expect to weigh in given my background and experience, but I have confidence in the new structure and it will provide the direction the project needs. The new structure is, is focused around change management. We're taking the lessons learned from the early EHR engagements and building a better process and product engaging deeply with stakeholders. Technology modernization is another key. We know that our efforts are critical to delivering benefits and providing healthcare across our network. We're continually updating and optimizing technical solutions and empowering data-driven decision-making to support state-of-the-art uh, healthcare delivery. The task is an enormous one. The VA owns nearly 6,300 buildings, including more than 1,200 healthcare facilities. On average, VA healthcare facilities are 60 years old, 
compared to the private sector hospitals in the US, which ever average 11 years old. Modernizing is a key challenge that we must face on a daily basis with sustained effort. So to wrap up, OIT staff has demonstrated the ability and the flexibility of time and time again through the pandemic. The switch to telework has moved 400,000 workers practically overnight, many of them who'd never worked remotely. Just as importantly, we learned that our veterans and our caregivers are much more tech savvy than we anticipated. Looking at success of telehealth and adopting apps that allow them to access benefits, healthcare, and other status updates from their phones and computers. We'll work to continue to push the tech leader and innovators to be a tech leader and innovator in this federal space. As parameters of the pandemic continue to shift, we'll move forward in the most progressive way possible to ensure we carry out our mission of advancing technology to reach our veterans. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing an excerpt from the first press conference from Kurt Delbeni, the Veterans Affairs Department's new Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing an excerpt from the first press conference from Kurt Delbeni, the Veterans Affairs Department's new Chief Information Officer. In this segment of the show, Delbeni and his team in the CIO's office take questions from reporters. I'm curious about the electronic health record and what progress it's making, especially towards incorporating care in the community and what potential that wrinkle has to, to uh, either, I, I don't know, as a bug in, in the process when suddenly you're handling, I suppose, what would be a, I don't know, an outside VA proprietary medical record from some for-profit medical record provider, might, maybe not necessarily Cerner. Is that going to, uh, does that freeze the system or is that going to cause a revolution and a universal electronic health record adopted by all? Please, you can you can feel that one if you want to. Fortunately, I've got Neil Evans on the line, uh, who's one of the physicians at the VA, but has also been, uh, was the acting secretary, assistant secretary. And so let me give a few words and then I can pass it over to him. The one of the things that's really critical in the electronic health records effort is we're sharing a system with the DOD. So if you think about veterans as they transition from active service to veteran status, and actually in a lot of cases back again, the one of the opportunities is by having that be Cerner on both sides, that that record will continue with them in a way that it, it doesn't happen today. There are ways for them to access those records for sure today, but it'll be that consistency. And then as you know, community care is, is a critical part of delivery of care across the entire spectrum. And so having that be part of the solution is also envisioned in uh, our movement to the Cerner uh, solution. But Neil, do you want to take it from there? And Sure. Let me see if I'm responsive to your question here. I think what you were asking was, as we're deploying this electronic health record, there's really two questions. The electronic health record that we're deploying is a joint federal electronic health record. It's a single common database that will serve as and deliver the health records for all essentially patients of the defense health agency so the department of defense Healthcare system department of veterans affairs and also at the moment the united states coast guard is another federal partner so out of the department of homeland security all those records stored in the same underlying common electronic health record at the end of this project a veteran who signs up for their military service will have their intake physical in that health record and their health record as they receive health care across the federal 
space, both in DOD and VA, will all be stored in the same system all the way through until potentially the last day of their life. That is the core solution that's being delivered. As part of that, there's a significant effort that we call the Joint Health Information Exchange. And, and just to give you a sense of where we stand on that, if my memory serves me right, the DOD is on the order of 40% or, or so of their way through deployment of the record, starting really kind of from the West Coast and moving East. Uh, the Coast Guard has deployed as well. They have a much smaller healthcare presence. And the VA, we're really just getting started currently with the system primarily at live in Spokane, Washington, Mangranstaff VA Medical Center. That system also, another part of that project has been to expand our healthcare exchange with private sector clinics. And through our joint health information exchange, we participate in two um, health exchange networks, the eHealth Exchange and the Commonwealth uh, Health Exchange. And now we're exchanging data between the federal healthcare system uh, that I just mentioned and private sector uh, healthcare providers, covering nearly 60% of the of the healthcare system nationwide. So what this means for me as a primary care clinician when I'm in clinic tomorrow morning, is that a patient who received care the day prior across the street at the private sector hospital. I'm able to pull up those records and see them electronically. Likewise, if my patient this over the weekend goes to an emergency room at a participating private sector hospital, that ER doctor can also see those records. So interchange to support care delivery really across the ecosystem. That's not a single common electronic health record. That's exchange of data to support clinical care um, writ large. That aspect, the interchange, interchangeability is already operational. That's something that, or is that, uh, that's an aspiration? No, that's operational. That, that exists right now. The Joint Health Information Exchange was launched a year and a half, two years ago. And we continue to sign on new partners, partnering with other, with, with private sector health systems um, who are interested in exchanging data with us. Um, you know, the fax machine remains a big part of uh, health data exchange in the healthcare system. Uh, this is an opportunity for us uh, to put the fax machine into the history of legacy technology. But sorry, so just one more follow up on that. So it, it exists, but it, and and how much of the private sector is able to use it? It's a, it's willing to use it. I'm not sure if I misunderstood something you said there. Yeah, I think it's around the the number. We can get you the official number, but our estimate is that 65, 60 to 65% of the private sector healthcare system is currently exchanging data with us and we're exchanging data with them. And just to refine the statistic uh, that um, Neil mentioned, it, we with the most recent deployment, we're 51, DOD is 51% deployed on CERNA. This is Jason Miller from Federal News Network. First of all, uh, Kirk, good to meet you. The fact you took this job, uh, I'll say, is impressive in and of itself. So I guess the, the question I have to start with is, why'd you take the job? Because it's not an easy job. No offense to Dr. Evans or anyone else on the on the on, on the call. And what are like from a priority standpoint? There's so many things that you could do at VA. It's it's commonly known that any CIO who comes into any agency, whether it's big as VA or it's the smallest of agencies really have to look at two or three things that they can get done in their time period. Even if you're here for eight years, getting two or three things done is difficult in and of itself. So, so if you could just maybe go through what are your priorities, what are you really focused on beyond great care, being dynamic, 
serving veterans and caregivers. Like I get those things, but but mm -hmm. come down to about 5,000 feet for me. I guess to answer your first question, the reason I took the role is that I think it's a huge opportunity to give back to a group of people who very much deserve our support, our veterans, caregivers, um, and family. And that full stop. I, mean, I think when, you know, we in technology are very fortunate to have had the success that we, we've had. And this is an opportunity that when the secretary called, I said, that sounds like something that I'd like to contribute to. So that's that's an answer to your first question. To me, the opportunity for me, and it's a little bit big part of what I led in my last role at Microsoft, is how do you make the transformation of how IT works? One, I think it's all about being deeply connected to stakeholders so, so that we've talked in the team of, if the, if the vision, for instance, is not well articulated in a particular part where you're working on, create a straw man and actually say, this is what we think your vision looks like. Now work with us collaboratively to refine that vision, translate it into plans, translate it into you know, agile development processes, metrics of success and resource allocation. I think that transformation of IT into this modern world, which I think is where the commercial world is going as well. It's certainly the transformation we did at Microsoft. It's a huge opportunity for the federal government overall. I think VA is in a good position to lead here and also be an example of how this is done in the federal government. You know, I spent time on the Defense Innovation Board. One of the studies we did is around how do you bring more software and, and technology expertise into the federal government? Well, at its foundation is the way that you build things and the things you choose to build should be very, very focused and aligned around stakeholder requirements. And then the way we do agile development should flow from there. I think that's the greatest opportunity. And it's, if there's one thing I hope to hang my hat on at the, at the end of the day, it's that uh, being a part of that transformation. Really, it, it just delivers benefits across the entire spectrum. What you deliver is more focused you're agile and that you respond as needs as needs change. Your resource allocation is better. Outcomes are better because they're tied to what the end user needs. It just delivers benefits across the line. So that's where I that's something I think I know a bunch about and and hopefully can and it just gets me excited is hopefully you can uh, determine as well. And just real quick follow up. You've talked about yeah. the customer experience. You talked about the the employee experience and you talked about measuring it. Are you trying to bring in some private sector? perspectives to that measurement? I mean, VA already has, uh, you know, we've seen over the last 15 years or so, the customer experience for VA has gone through the roof, right? It's gone, it was at 45% in 2008, 2009 timeframe, maybe a little bit before that. And now the last thing I heard, I think 72, 75%. What measures are you bringing in from your experience to, to continue to build that? The industry, whether it's inter whether it's commercial, or whether it's the public or what we do in the public sector as well, there's really kind of two measures you can measure satisfaction and you can measure net promoter score. I think right now we want to measure both and, and a lot of industry does as well. I mean, net promoter score has has particular benefits that we like in the industry sector. Um, and I think it has applicability here as well. I mean, at its foundation, though, I think what we, you know, it's a little bit like you see an experience and you see what the experience looks like in the consumer space and you see what happened, what the experience looks like when you go to VA.gov. And the ease of use on a consumer basis should be similar. And so there should be a simple login. There should It should be an, a pleasant experience. Where, and you should see first and foremost, here's the journey map, the things that you can do on this site. 
And so that, you know, it part of, partially you can look at it and you can see if it's good experience, but we'll use standard methodologies and then, you know, and talk to vets and see what the gaps were and incrementally deliver on those gaps. I think I have Charles here. Charles, do you have anything you'd add? Uh, well, I always like talking about making awesome experiences for veterans, but I think we, we created a lot of momentum during the pandemic, creating tools rapidly to help veterans navigate the pandemic, uh, including things like helping veterans schedule their first vaccine shot via text message. Uh, over 230,000 veterans were able to get their vaccine appointment uh, scheduled just via uh, an interaction with a text message. And, you know, we heard from veterans that received that experience that they felt a sense of sort of delight and surprise. Uh, they couldn't believe that that was the VA, you know, providing this service. And that's the that's the opportunity we want to create. Uh, so we've got some exciting things going on in the mobile space that I'm really excited about this year. We have a new flagship mobile app that has been uh, sort of soft launched for a few months is live in the app store and is getting some good traction and good reviews with veterans. So we're, we're continually trying to move the ball forward in um, providing excellent online experiences for our customers. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing an excerpt from the first press conference from Kurt Delbeni, the Veterans Affairs Department's new Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing an excerpt from the first press conference from Kurt Delbeni, the Veterans Affairs Department's new Chief Information Officer. In this next segment of the show, Delbeni and his team from the CIO's office continue to take questions from reporters. Assistant Secretary, I wanted to just follow up on something you said in, during the evidence session um, last week uh, to lawmakers, just about holding contractors to a standard in terms of their performance, which obviously with EHR is a, like a tricky and super important thing. I wondered if you had, I guess, any thoughts, like what can be done you know, going forward uh, to, to do a better job of hold, holding companies to account who are involved in, in the EHR modernization process? This is another thing that we spent a bunch of time at Microsoft working on. We did a couple of things. One, we created common standards for how we dealt with contractors, the expectations of those contractors, and then created an easier way to contract with them when they met the bar of, of you know, how we would work with them. And it's something that I was passionate about at Microsoft and um, the dependency that we have on contractors to do the work we have makes it very important here. I think there are two sides to it. There is how are we as a customer of a contract and what do we do? And then what are the expectations of what contractors do as well? On our side of things, we will get better outcomes, as I said before, if we are focused. We understand exactly what we want to deliver in what order. And the second thing we do is we are actively engaged with the contractor. You know, in, in great projects, you, and we've seen this in the VA, we talk about there, you can't really tell who's the contractor and who's the, the full-time person. And there needs to be that degree of, of cooperation and collaboration across the teams. And that also has a responsibility at our part of saying, do we understand what's going on in that project deeply enough that when the contractor comes back and says, let's do it this way, either you know it deeply enough that you say, yeah, that makes perfect sense, or you've even offered some of the suggestions to get us there, or two, you say, I don't know that that really makes sense in this case. Let's try and do it a different way. Um, and I spent a bunch of time with HHS. I'm working on when we were fixing healthcare.gov, my other previous stint in government, where that critical interlock between the, between the customer and the developer was absolutely critical. And they would, for instance, there were parts that of the, how of healthcare.gov was originally designed that were not great. 
And that's what happens when you have a disconnect across the two. What we want to do is have a deep interlock across the two instead. And I think you saw that when the transformation happened, that there was, you know, we had shared ward teams. You had all, if it was a system that was worked across, if there were multiple pieces of the system that came together, they were all in the room together to triage the bugs so there wasn't finger pointing. And so having that interlock is really important. And then the third thing I'll say is, as a customer, we should know when we're using an outside contractor, we believe that's a good place to use them versus what should be done internally. The core things of where we're going with the team, what the priorities are, that's something we have to do for ourselves. Whereas contractors can do the execution, um, the deep technical work that we work in collaboration with them, as, as I said. And then the last thing I think we could do is we can have higher expectations of contractors as well. So this notion of, you know, how many uh, of those folks that we have are boots on the ground coding for us? How many are doing deep technical requirements? How, much, how many of them are managing? And do we think all of those ratios and what we're paying on, an, on a per hour basis are reasonable as well? And so I think, and, and if we do that collaboratively, then we can develop a set of trust where it doesn't seem like an inspection. It seems like collaborating together to deliver an outcome. So it's a place I'm super passionate about. And I think the team is too. This is maybe a follow-up uh, to the previous question, but overall, when you assess the the situation with the EHR program now, and I know that you were not there, obviously, from, from the beginning, but but when you consider the cost, the soaring costs, the very troubled rollout in Spokane, the concerns from members of Congress, what can you tell us, what do you think went wrong here? Why has this been such a rocky project? At its heart, I think that it was always going to be a challenging rollout because electronic health record systems are, are difficult things to deploy, generally speaking. I don't think there's anybody in the industry who wouldn't say that. The other thing that I think is critical is that we were moving from a place where there was a homegrown system, which is Vista, that tailored itself deeply to the way that the VA works in particular. And so there was a uh, transformation in how clinicians would work to use the system that was going to be early on was going to be disruptive. At the same time, I think we could do better in terms of training, making sure that everybody's trained, that they're on board, and know how know completely how the system works. I think we had some infrastructure problems as well early on. And so I think our level of, uh, of preparedness overall for man brand staff could have been stronger. And I also think that the criteria of, the clear criteria of what that we should meet before we go live could have been crisper. And I think as we think about going into Walla Walla as a next site, um, another Washington State location, which I'm a proud resident of Washington State, we have done a lot better job in terms of getting those criteria set and established. We've done a better job at being collaborative with the clinicians, because again, if there's this transformation going on, you'd better be in lockstep with the clinicians and the other people using the system so that they understand, they give you feedback. And then they res there are certain things that were just the, the workflow has to change. And there are other things where the system has to change. And getting that balance right is really, really difficult. And we could have done a better job there as well. I have a ton of, of respect for Terry Adiram. Um, she's an ER doc, ER doc herself. She comes from the DOD where they've done this deployment as well. And she just knows how these, the, these kinds of, of deployments work. 
I think this the actual transformation is going to be as much about change management and and people systems and how that that um, how those come in uh, in good alignment. How the how we work comes in line with how the system works, and both are going to adapt to get us to a good place. I feel particularly good about where we are right now with Walla Walla. But again, we're going to look and see if anything changes that would require us to, to move that. We are on track, but we're, we're going to make sure that we're responsive to the stakeholders um, when we make those decisions along the way. Neil, do you have anything you'd add? Or, and Laura Petula as well, who's in, engaged in that team. So thank you. Yes, we are establishing a deployment assurance team within the DCIO group. And those are specifically focused to ensure that from a local IT perspective and our overarching IT communities are very much aware and in line with understanding what these transformations are. The other thing that I will mention as well is that this is not just a simple technology implementation. We are supporting VHA in the way that they want to transform healthcare practices. And so we want to make sure that the facilities are also ready for those changes from their own process perspective, not just are you ready to receive the system. So we're working very, very closely with the facilities and we're setting up different practices for change management all around. I just had one follow up, which is everything you're saying makes sense probably to all of us on this call. But why was VA, which had over 20 years tried numerous times to implement changes and, you know, to, to get rid of VISTA and make it a better system. Why, after so many failed efforts, what, what is it about the way VA works, the way the government works, the way the bureaucracy works, that made them, apparently, from what you're saying, not aware of all these issues, that these could be problems? Neil, do you want to take that? I think I would come back to the first point that Kurt made, and that is that electronic health record transitions are hard. They're hard in the private sector. They're hard in the federal government. We're talking about thousands of workflows. It's the delivery of primary care, mental health, the effective operation of an emergency department, an operating room. Uh, in our case, nursing home facilities are what we call community living centers, geriatric care. I mean, it really runs the gamut. Um, the user base is huge, and these systems are complex because healthcare, at the heart of healthcare, is the ability to integrate a lot of complex information, labs, information, radiology, images, et cetera. So complex systems, transitions are hard. And the first place you go, there are going to be lessons learned. And we saw this same thing happen with the Department of Defense where in their early rollout, they struggled with some of their early sites, but they have learned lessons that are now paying dividends as they're rolling out. And as Kurt mentioned, they're now at over 50% of their sites deploying this same solution. And so you know, I think a, lo a lot of this is um, that we're still relatively early in this transformation journey and in very much you know you know coming at this with a learning mindset and and applying lessons learned as we move forward 
We have to take a break. Today I'm playing an excerpt from the first press conference from Kurt Delbeni, the Veterans Affairs Department's new Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today I'm playing an excerpt from the first press conference from Kurt Delbeni, the Veterans Affairs Department's new Chief Information Officer. In this next segment of the show, Delbeni and his team from the CIO's office continue to take questions from reporters. I had two questions. Number one, do you feel like you relied too much on vendors and their proprietary methods for rolling out the EHR systems? That seemed to be a problem over the past 20 years is that you were kind of relying on their knowledge of EHR systems. And so uh, in order to get them to, to interconnect, to, to exchange data, it was problematic. And, and number two, when it comes to telehealth, I've heard from some physicians their concern that once the pandemic wanes, uh, there's going to be uh, sort of a migration back away from telehealth. Can you talk a little bit about what efforts are being made to continue down that path because and what efficiencies that's brought? In terms of over-dependency upon contractors, it is the reality that a lot of our work is done through contractors. And if you don't do that well, I think your outcomes can suffer. I believe that you can do that well but it requires a concerted effort around what your strategy is, what your approach to software development is, and as I said before, getting an interlock with the developers so that they act and feel like a single team and it's a partnership. And I think in the absence of that, you'll have trouble, and in, in, if we do that well, I think we'll get good success out of it. It is also reality of the, the way you know the financial returns to people in the private sector are such that there is going to be this strong dependency on contractors. And so it's it's just the environment I think we have to learn live uh, with. I will say at the same time, I get very excited about bringing more developers and more technical staff into the VA. And I think there's a huge amount of things uh, we can do. I think we can be an on-ramp for veterans who want to have a career in technology. I think we can be an off-ramp into the public sector or the private sector where they have a successful career. I think we can take people from uh, undergrad and we can have this be an, an exciting first place for them to be and either to grow up in the federal government system uh, or to actually, again, go into the private sector as well. But that also requires us to do things incredibly good, well so that we are a place that somebody wants to go. We are a, 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 an employer of choice in the tech field, and I think we're, that's the journey that we're on. On the second question, I'm trying to recall what your second question was. Telehealth. So oh, yes, yes. A return to. Got it. I actually don't think so. I think we have seen an amazing surge. I'm trying to remember, it was something like 40,000, before the pandemic, we had 40,000 visits per month, and now we have something like that per day. Some We should fact check that one, but I believe that, in fact, I have Todd on the line who can confirm that one for me, because I know I got it from Todd. So massive sur resurgence or uh, surge in that demand, people finding the experience to be a good one, which is really what's key, and another other thing I would say is the ability to have telehealth transform the experience for veterans, particularly in rural areas, is huge. And so that there's a whole set of people that are really struggling with getting into a facility that don't have to in, in this kind of an environment uh, of using telehealth. So I believe the experience will be such that people won't go back. But Todd, if you could confirm the statistic, and then I'd also, uh, Neil, is deeply involved in this area, so I'd love to have his perspective as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, Pre-pandemic, we were doing about 40,000 telehealth visits a month, and now we're doing about 40,000 telehealth visits a day. And 
one other caveat, we've quadrupled our bandwidth and um, that bandwidth has been built into our sustainment. So we're accounting for that in out years. And just in, in my limited travels talking with clinicians and, and um, others that work at the medical centers, there is, a, there is no way culturally they want to step backwards. And with some of the technologies that have come out of our um, DevSecOps shop and out of the CTO shop, and I don't want to speak for Charles, but uh, we've created some really cool tools that have virtually eliminated the need for a physical waiting room. And I know that some of the clinicians are anxious to to continue to propagate that model um, so that the, the veterans that are visiting the facilities have the ability to, to spend their time in a shopping center or a Starbucks instead of in a waiting room around other sick people. So, but Dr. Neil Evans is definitely the expert on this, so I'll, I'll pass the mic. So I think a lot of what needed to be said has been said, but I'll say this, VA has had the first telehealth visit in VA happened in the 1960s. It was two-way black and white television. The VA in the early 2000s made a very significant investment in telehealth and has been committed to telehealth in part, as Kurt mentioned, because of the geography. We are a healthcare system that must deliver healthcare to veterans wherever they are in this country. And so telehealth has always been an important part of our strategy. In 2017, we announced the Anywhere to Anywhere Telehealth Initiative and had made significant investments in fortifying a, a telehealth platform to deliver to the home. That's really when we made a commitment. The Mission Act, the VA Mission Act, is what gave us the legal authority to deliver care from VA providers to veterans in any state or territory um, via telehealth into the home. And we had grown quite significantly by the time we started the pandemic. And we were doing 2,000 visits. That is the same as 40,000 visits a month. 2,000 visits on a, on a typical business day on the first day of the pandemic. But the key point there is that at that point in time, it was over 90% of mental health care providers and 90% of primary care providers in VA had already done a telehealth visit. So we weren't asking our staff to try out the platform for the first time ever when the pandemic started. And we had done a lot of work, foundational work in getting telehealth to be part of care delivery, not just in primary care mental health, but across specialty care. It allowed it to take off. We're seeing telehealth being delivered into the home in pretty much every imaginable clinical specialty. And people, as was mentioned, aren't gonna go back because the patients love it. We have high satisfaction. And providers have changed their workflow, how they engage with patients. They now consider this a part of, of, their, of their tool set in reaching patients where they are bringing care to the veteran, not always having the veteran have to come to us. So you mentioned uh, the need for agile strategies and clear resource allocation to improve veteran experience and solutions. So how will OIT's modernization and digital transformation strategies drive your vision as well as VA's overall mission? I think the first thing I would say is having the clarity around what the North Star looks like in that's articulated in terms of whether it's healthcare or whether it's our benefits administration memorials, that will be a driver. So first and foremost, you have to decide where is it you want to take the bus and then how we're going to get there. And I think that, you know, it seems pretty simple, but having spent time in the commercial space and the public space now too, it's, it's something that often it's implicit but not explicit. That then drives a set of, of tough trade-offs. And we've, we've talked a great deal about 
you know, what's above the line and what's below the line in terms of things we have funded today versus the cut line and things that are, are not funded and need to be funded. From there, you can figure out, you know, how do we stand on resources? And, and the first thing you do is you say, how do I scramble and figure out how I can move resources within the envelope I have? Or where are places I need more resources that, that I don't have today? The next thing you figure out is how are you actually going to do the work? And there we have to figure out how do we deal with all the modernization that that needs to happen, old systems that either need to be retired, moved to the cloud, modernized, and, and kind of triaging your portfolio and figuring out what to do there. Uh, and then when you do build a new system, you need to do build it in a modern way. You need to think about how it's cloud-based, if it or does it need to be containerized, or is it a native app using a um, cloud as platform environment. So how are you going to build the thing as well? And then there's a bunch of advanced technologies you can use as well. So I talked about no code, low code being a transformative thing in our organization because you can essentially create a software factory where people you have an ingestion and say, OK, what's the kind of app I want to build? What are, what are the needs need to be that uh, somebody from one of the administrations can come and say, I need have this need. We can triage it against systems we have or we can figure out how do we build a new system to, to meet that need as well. The other thing I get excited about is there are technologies that are still developing in the private sector, like deep AI algorithms, that can be, have a huge impact in, in how we serve veterans in particular. It's a very large population. We can find patterns that didn't exist before so we can better serve. And so really it comes down to being very rigorous in your development processes, thinking from a vision perspective, being in clear lockstep with your stakeholders, and then making the right technical decisions as well. Thank you for that. Um, and a quick follow up. What are some of the key program areas like VLM or DevSecOps or maybe some of the support services programs that you have going? Uh, what will you be looking to build upon in the new year? The foundation exists within the organization that we just need to, to ramp up on the whole Having a DevSecOps mentality, I think, is, is a really powerful approach. I think the, the team is organized around that is the way they deliver solutions. I think another one that I think is, is transformative is we have a very deep investment in security. It's one of the first places I went when I got here of saying, tell us what your, our security posture looks like. We're building a modern infrastructure in terms of bringing all of our logging together so we can do inference across that about potential security threats. I feel good about the foundation, but there's more that we can do there. I think we have a very active cloud migration strategy, which I want to build upon as well. As I said, alluded to a little bit, that's about triaging the portfolio of apps you have and deciding which ones you're going to modernize, which ones you're going to actually containerize and bring to the cloud, which ones do you want sunset? I think we can build on that as well. That's all the time we have for today. You just heard an excerpt from the first press conference from Kurt Delbeni, the Veterans Affairs Department's new Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.